So Smarties, it's that time of year again, and we were talking about what would be most meaningful to talk to you about as we're all gearing up to head back into yet another year of school. Then we realized we had already aired two episodes on what we wanted everyone to know back in August of 2018. So today, we've enhanced those two episodes, episodes 13 and 14, and combined them into this one delicious episode as a reminder for what we all need to hear as we all get ready to do this again. (laughs) There was a third episode of this trilogy called School Supplies, What You Need and What You Absolutely Don't Need. And if you haven't heard that one yet, it was episode 15, and we'll link it in the show notes of this episode. That's a really good one, Smarties, and there was a great freebie we created that had our list of recommended school supplies. Be sure to listen to the very end of this episode as you'll hear what we want to add now that a year has passed. We're one year older and one year wiser, so we have a little more to say about this transition back to school. Take a deep breath, Smarties. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. In this episode, we share some of the things that we always do with our clients at the beginning of the year, like setting SMART goals. And we'll also talk about not being a fireman all year or a firewoman. Excuse me. We're gender positive here. A fire person. A fire person. We'll explain that metaphor shortly. Rach, how do you start the year off? What's the first thing that you say? So I often do a check-in with families who like I haven't seen over the summer. Where were we three months ago and where do we mm-hmm. want to be? And mm-hmm. if I've had a client for a while, the conversation that I have with the families are about not being a fireman. There's two parts to being a fireman. The first is literally extinguishing fires. And for our clients, fires can be homework not getting done or homework not getting turned in or not knowing when a test is. But the second part of being a fireman is actually educating the public about how to avoid a fire. (laughs) My goal with all my clients is to be in that zone of not having any fires. So knowing my students and knowing what they particularly struggle with has been really, really helpful. So this is an opportunity that I encourage our audience to sit down and think, what is the one thing that you hope doesn't happen this academic school year? So if it's knowing when tests are going to be, that can mean you create a plan for partnering with your child's teacher. That can mean you making sure that your child has a calendar. You're going to hear us talk about calendars so much. Go ahead, Steph. I was going to say, I think it's really important to note why Rachel said one thing. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Because it's one of those things that, yes, we all have goals, right? If you think about the goal you have for your house right now, you want your house to be clean. You want the fridge to be full. You want to have things in their places. You want to have all of these things. But can you do them all at once? No. That's not realistic. So remember, for your child, if you think about the things from last school year that were really challenging for your student, let's pick one to start the year off because you're just going to set them up for failure and you don't want to set them up for failure. If you pick more than one, you mean? That's what I mean. So that's why Rachel is saying pick one thing. 
with my clients, we're going to talk about goals in a minute. We pick the one thing that we want to make sure happens the whole year. And then we pick other things too that wouldn't it be nice. You've heard Steph and I talk about the wouldn't it be nice list, but it's really important to just start off with the one thing. And it could be something non-academic. If it really bugs you that your child isn't packing their own lunch, then that needs to be the thing that you start off with so that you can have a more harmonious start to the school year. Yeah. It's really hard to build habits. It's really hard to build multiple habits at once. And that's why most people fail at starting a new habit is because you're trying to take on too much at once. Steph, what would be another thing that you would encourage parents to think about when starting a new year? It's really important to start the new year with open communication with teachers. That way you're creating some rapport and team building, which is what we've talked about before. You've heard us say this. Open communication with your teacher and you partnering with your child's teacher is going to be something that you are going to really get a lot from. And so will your child. So if you know your child is behind... The best thing to do is to not wait until your child's teacher says to you, let's say it's October, your child is behind. This is something that you already know. If you let your child's teacher know early on, that's some time that can be used to make up some ground and your child's teacher can be aware of it. So keeping an extra eye out if they have the ability to do so. And being able to just go forward together and have some momentum rather than waiting. And then, like Rachel said, that's a fire already. You're starting the year off with the biggest fire. I think our bottom line with this point is don't test the teacher to see if this year's teacher feels the same way about where your child is at as last year's teacher. I think we would say the same thing about medicating your child. If you choose to medicate we do not recommend that you say nothing to the teacher. Or us. Or us. Because first of all, we'll notice, but we don't really like feeling like we're being the guinea pigs to see if we can see a difference in your child. We understand why you wouldn't share, but it doesn't build trust and it doesn't build transparency. And for the most part, the fear about disclosing information is like you're going to build this confirmation bias. So you're letting the teacher know that your child is behind. So now the teacher's going to think your child is behind. Or you're letting the teacher know that you're medicating your child. So now the teacher's looking for moments where things might be better. That's not the kind of partnership that you want to really inspire. You want to inspire openness. Nobody is going to tell you medication is working if it's not. And nobody is going to tell you your child is ahead if they're not. So inspiring this partnership makes the teacher more willing to work with you. Wouldn't you agree, Steph? Yeah, I really think it's important to have your teacher on your side. Yeah. And they will understand. Once you're open and honest, it's that vulnerability mm-hmm. that Brene Brown talks about. Mm-hmm. That now you've been open and honest and people are more willing to help you. Even though it's hard. We love Brene. Yeah, we do. We love Brene. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Back to us. So the next really big thing that I'm sure a lot of you are thinking about when going back to school 
is homework. And that's why we did an episode on it. Homework is a terrible time of the day. So go back and listen to episode six, Dreaded Homework, to get some tips and tricks about it. To remind yourselves about what you're going to be in for. And (laughs) maybe you pick one thing about homework that you hope to do differently this school year. And by the way, partner with your kid on this. Have an open conversation. This is the perfect opportunity to talk about goal setting. Steph, yes, we both do this at the start of the year with our students. Why mm-hmm. do you think we both do this? I think that we both do this because, number one, it's really important in educating the child about where they're at and what they're doing and what they want. And it's really also important to have a jumping off point mm-hmm. and something to go back on as something to be measured, as to like look back to where you were just, you know, a few months ago when they start to feel discouraged Mm -hmm. or it's that race that Rachel and I talk about, like running your own race. So helping having those moments and those points along the way, you can see what your race has been like. And so I think there's so many reasons I start there. What about you? I really believe in the power of writing down your goals. And once you write them down and once we write them down in session, it's not like we never look back at them. One of the things that I've been doing with a client over the summer who really wanted to make a shift, I had her write a letter to her future self. So she was feeling really inspired at the end of the year. We had had a lot of serious conversations about how she needed to take on more as the student. And I had her write a letter to herself about the different things that she wanted to take on herself and not have her mom do or me as the a therapist I like do for it. her. I like it. And now at the beginning of every session, I literally have it taped to my wall and I pull it off the wall and I stick it on the table in front of her. I'm like, okay, read this out loud. Remind yourself what we're working towards. And it's something that we're constantly revisiting. And this might be something that I'm thinking about doing with all of my clients in terms of their SMART goals. I'm not going to have them write their name on it, but I might post the SMART goals around my office and so that they're constantly engaging and constantly being reminded of what they set out to do this year. Yeah, I like like it. I do like it. I think that's really cool, especially because I think it's really smart to do it at the end like you were doing, but I think it's really smart to actually also do it at the beginning of the year. Because there's this motivation and excitement that comes with a new school year that they're not discouraged yet. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's that's a good place to start. Should we actually talk about what a SMART goal is? Yeah, let's let's definitely talk about what a SMART goal is. (laughs) So Steph, what is a SMART goal? A SMART goal is specific. That's the S. Measurable. That's the M. Achievable. A. Realistic. R. Time sensitive. T. (laughs) (laughs) So put those all together and that is a SMART goal. So now you're kind of wondering, okay, what does that really actually look like? So a SMART goal is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time sensitive. So you don't have a goal that just has no end date or has no numbers by which you can measure. I think the achievable and realistic part can be really tricky because we as the adults or you as the parents can think this is totally realistic for my child to be able to do it, but it might not be. Let's give an example of what a good 
SMART goal for an elementary age student is and what a bad SMART goal would be and why for an elementary age student. So an elementary age student. So let's start with a bad goal just so you can hear what it means and then we'll take it a step further. So here's an example of a bad goal for an elementary age student. I will always remember to bring home everything that I'm supposed to bring home. Backpack, homework, books, lunchbox. But there's no plan for how to achieve it. Can I add something about why that's bad? Yes. There's no plan to achieve it. But in addition, it's not time sensitive. It's very unrealistic because they said always. It's not realistic if you're routinely forgetting to bring something home that all of a sudden you're going to have a 100% success rate with bringing things home. So Steph, why don't you give a more realistic, time-sensitive, and achievable, and specific, and measurable goal for that same student? So for the same goal, taking it a step further, I will remember to bring the right materials home at least four out of five days a week at school. I will do this by checking in with my teacher at the end of the day or asking a grown-up to help me make sure before we leave the school grounds. Now, let's talk about the difference. First, specific. It's talking about the right materials home, not just backpack with everything. Mm -hmm. It's the right materials. Then let's talk about how it's measurable. It's four out of five days a week for school. How is it achievable? By checking in with my teacher at the end of the day or asking a grown-up. Is it realistic? That's the tricky part, but for this student, it is. And time-sensitive. It doesn't have to say by a certain time. So I wanted to make sure that you guys understood what the time-sensitive part was. It doesn't need to have a date So specifically, that's not what we mean by time sensitive, but four out of five days is a good time sensitive amount. So here is an example for a middle school student. Steph and I picked this imaginary student who is a seventh grader. Here's an example of a bad SMART goal. By the end of September, I will have completed two books that I'll be reading. Not specific really unrealistic. It is time sensitive, but it's not likely achievable. So for the same student, we kind of honed in or niched down on the goal to make it much more realistic and achievable. So here is an example of a better, more specific niche down SMART goal for that same seventh grader. By the end of September, I will be a chapter ahead in the reading book in my English class by reading 10 minutes a day, five days a week. Steph, how does that reflect SMART goals? It's specific. It's a chapter ahead. It's a chapter ahead. It's measurable because we're saying not only how much they're reading each day, but how many days a week they're going to read. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll know if you're a chapter ahead of your class. Right. Yep. It's achievable because it's 10 minutes and kids were much more likely to think, okay, 10 minutes, that's a reasonable amount of time. I mean, 20 minutes pushes it might be better if your child is the kind of kid that can do it. But we're saying this imaginary kid, 20 minutes is too long. So that's why we chose 10 minutes. So that makes it realistic. And 
the time sensitive is that we're doing it five days out of the week. And by the end of September, they will be a chapter ahead. So Steph, what is an example of a bad SMART goal for a high school student? Keeping in mind, we're talking about a high school student, which is very different from an elementary and a middle school student. Mm-hmm. We've decided this imaginary high school student says, if you said to your child, what goals would you have or what's a goal you have or something, they'll probably say, I'll just remember to update my calendar. This is an example of a bad SMART goal because it doesn't have any of the components. No plan for success. And they probably said that just to get you off their back. So it's not actually a real goal for them. Rach, what is a better example of that goal? So a better example of that goal is I will update my calendar on a regular basis, including information I was told in school and making sure to source the information on my online portal. Now, this is something that should be a daily goal for a high school student, and it should be seamless. But again, we're using that should word, and anytime you're saying should, it might be unrealistic for your student. They should be doing this, but they're not. So if this is something that your student isn't doing yet, then having them do it on a daily basis isn't going to be realistic for them. So they may need to have two or three times a week that they create a plan for a check-in with a friend or a check-in with a parent or whoever is holding them accountable. Steph, would you agree? Yeah, I think that that's really good, especially because you're navigating this tricky high school situation and some of them want some autonomy but aren't ready for it. Right. So creating a structure and system that they know what to expect and how often is really a good idea. And it's agreed upon in advance before you guys are having fights about their calendar and their assignments that may be going missing or gone ignored or haven't been turned in. You're creating a plan for that in advance of an issue. SMART goals are meant to be successful. So don't pick something super unrealistic for your child. If your child has never calendared before... It's not realistic to have them suddenly have this wonderful Google Calendar that looks gorgeous and is color-coded and have them remember to do it on a daily basis. Same goes for if your child isn't checking their email every day. You'd be shocked by how many... I mean, I'm obsessive about checking my email to the point that I have to delete my email off my phone at the end of the night to have some boundaries. But our population of students don't check their email every day. No. If your ultimate goal is to have your high school student independently and seamlessly checking their calendar before committing to anything, and they're not doing it yet, let's have those stepping stones. Imagine you're at the bottom of that staircase. You're looking up at the top with the top being, my child always checks their calendar, always, they know what's going on in their life better than anybody else, but they're totally not using a calendar at the bottom of the staircase, then you need to build that momentum. And so what are those miniature goals on the way there? Keeping up with the momentum of creating a SMART goal, it would be a really good idea to set some goals as a family because then you can see that your child is also practicing it in a bigger life situation. And they see that everybody is working on something, right? Yeah. And that way you can check in all together, right? And hold each other accountable. Yeah. You can have- Your kids will love that. They really will. (laughs) They really will. You can time them out and reset them monthly or on the semester like we do or weekly 
or daily, whatever it is that works for your family. But you can have them up somewhere, highlighted, that everyone can see them. Put them on a post-it or if you have a whiteboard or a family calendar, something that everybody is a part of that you guys can set these goals. And that goal can simply be, let's get out as a family and walk the dog. Mm -hmm. One time a week. Exactly. One time a week. And those kinds of goals are going to create habits that we want to see our students starting to create. So, Steph, you and I talk about this idea of calendaring for success a lot. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to episode two, Steph, I feel like we say that every week, (laughs) please be sure to go back and do that because we get really specific about why to calendar or how to calendar and how we recommend students' calendar. But we talk a lot about calendaring for success because really it is planning for success. We want to make sure to remind you, as soon as that school calendar comes out, meaning all the dates off, the early dismissal days, the breaks, if your child is younger enough to still have parent-teacher conferences, all that information that you get on that big school-wide calendar for the year, it's time to sit down and create a time and space for your family to input all those dates into your calendaring system. Now, if you have a younger child, We absolutely still recommend that they're a part of this and that you model it for them. Maybe they read it out loud to you while you write it down in your calendar. If you have a family calendar, absolutely put these dates onto the family calendar so that everybody can be made aware. And then it only has to go in once. And if you have an older student, you can have them put it into the family calendar. You don't have to be the one that does it. Right, Steph? Yeah. And keep in mind, if you're using a Google Calendar, just remember you can duplicate an event. So you don't actually have to put it in all the different calendars individually. Steph, can you talk about what you mean about duplicating an event? Because that's different than calendar sharing, which is the family calendar. Yes. What do you mean by duplicating? So you can take an event and a drop-down menu in Google, you can literally say duplicate event, and that creates another entirely different entry. And then in the drop-down menu of calendar, you can choose which calendar you want it to go into. So if you want it to go into multiple calendars, let's say into your calendar, your family calendar, or let's say you have a younger child who looks at the calendar but doesn't quite put things in yet, then you can put it in that calendar. When I was working with a family in my past life, we had a screen up that we actually put the calendar so that everybody could walk by and see what was going on with everybody else. So that might be something... I've seen that calendar. (laughs) That might be something that you might want to do just with a computer screen or just an iPad, or you could print it if you wanted and put it up on the fridge if that doesn't work for you. There's a lot of different ways, but I think it's a really good way to have your child start to learn to check that every day and every morning. And I would recommend it for those who have the littles, as Steph and I call them, if your child wants to have an impromptu play date with a friend at school and they come running up to you and they ask if they can go to so-and-so's house, 
that can be a great opportunity for you to hand them your phone and your calendaring system and say, check what the plan is for today, check what the plan is for tomorrow, and tell me what's on the calendar. So you start building that awareness that before you can commit to something, you do have to check the calendar. And that doesn't mean that they get to make the decision once they look at the calendar, but it's that they know that that's actually a process before you can say yes to something. Right. Because as parents, we're running, or as educational therapists, we're running through the list of everything that has to happen in the next couple of days in our brains. But modeling that for our students is really, really important. You want to do that think aloud. You want to give them that skill and help to build that awareness and understanding. Now is the time to remember to finish summer reading. If your child hasn't completed their summer reading or hasn't been reading at all, now is the time to do it. We just wanted to give you that little reminder. If your child doesn't want to read their summer reading, have them listen to it while following along. You can also go back to episode 12 where Steph gives us so many ideas about how to encourage reading in your home. Also, you might want to think about counting out how many days you have left before the start of the school year and putting post-it flags into the books so they know how much they have to read every day. That's called chunking and you're doing that kind of executive functioning for them. So what comes along with the beginning of the school year, like we said in the last episode, is partnering with your child's teacher. Let's talk about some ways that you can actually do that besides just sending an email. It's really important if your child has anxiety that you meet with your child's teacher. So you can send an email to your child's teacher in the days leading up to school, and they're there because they're getting the classroom ready. Sometimes teachers can send pictures of the classroom, and this can help with anxiety, or you can go there with your child. I know I've done that before. I actually have a student starting today whose parents came and met with me and took a video of my office to show him because he has a lot of anxiety. It really helps mitigate anxiety if you can at least picture the space that you're going to be in. It doesn't have to be a surprise. Back in the day when I was teaching preschool in my former life, we would send pictures of the classroom in that welcome to our classroom packet so that parents could know what to expect when they walked in. I am not interested in a shock value and like that aha moment. And so I was all about preparing these kids for the expectations, what to expect from day one. And you can have them find something that they're really excited about in the video or the picture. Mm -hmm. And then that can really mitigate a lot of anxiety because you're turning it into excitement. Yeah, you're creating a plan for what they're going to do when they come into the classroom. Hopefully what they'll be able to do (laughs) or something that they're going to be able to interact with, depending on the teacher. Yes. If your child has a learning disability or if there is information that you think would be helpful for the teacher to know... You can always reach out to connect with the teacher. I actually recommend that you give the teacher a couple of days to kind of settle in with the whole class and start to get to know the students. If you are the type of parent who likes to meet beforehand, keep in mind you're not going to get any feedback from the teacher. They likely don't even know what your child looks like. So giving them a couple of days to kind of get their feet wet with your child. You absolutely can give them a heads up over email, but you want to start that partnership with your child's teacher that's going to be positive, supportive, and collaborative for the entire year. The next big thing is school supplies. 
be sure to listen to next week's episode as we really dig in and tell you what we wish all parents knew about school supplies and backpacks. But here's a little sneak peek. School supplies is something that is very big in a child's life. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. wanting to go to the store and getting all the things. I mean, Staples and Office Depot have their beginning of the year back to school sale. We love supplies and pens, and I have a post it collection you would not believe in my office because that's what sparks me joy. <laughs> but we hope you listen to that episode before going to the store because you might be surprised by some of the things we absolutely hate and what you actually need versus what your child thinks they need. (laughs) So a little sneak peek, just a couple of things. The first one is backpacks don't need a million pockets and zippers. So try to get one of those old school backpacks that has less because less is more in this circumstance. There's less opportunity for things to get lost and go into the black hole. Absolutely. The other big black hole are accordion folders. And we hate them. We hate them. And they're big, big black holes. Or there's certain types of notebooks that are black holes for your children. And what do you mean by black hole stuff? Because I know what you mean. But what do you mean? The black hole meaning Amelia Earhart. Like you go in and you never come back out, right? (laughs) The Amelia Earhart of school supplies. Maybe that should be the title of the episode. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just what I think of. (laughs) Okay. They're just you'll never see them again. They won't ever be found. Or if they are, it's too late or they're damaged. We're talking about the student who at the end of the year has 1,500 broken half pencils at the bottom of their backpack, right? Or the permission slip that never got turned in or right. the check for PE uniforms that never got turned in or mm-hmm. whatever it is. We're really going to dig into this next week because we have a lot of opinions a lot. <laughs> on this. And so be sure to join us for that episode because we actually think that episode is going to simplify your life and have, the honestly, the biggest long-term impact. Another big topic of this episode is we want to talk about those kids who are transitioning schools. So what we mean by that, a transition year is they are starting middle school. So they're transitioning from elementary to middle or going from middle to high school or even going from high school to college. Now, don't stop listening just because your child is not in that zone yet. So even if your child is continuing in the school that they were in last year, this is really an important opportunity for you to hear how we think about these transitions because eventually your child will be transitioning. So Steph, what would you say about the transition from elementary to middle? Because I think we both agree this is the biggest transition, except for maybe high school to college. Yeah, this elementary to middle, although it doesn't seem and feel like it's going to be one of the biggest transitions, most people think that it's middle to high. But actually, Mm -hmm. the biggest difference academically for your child is going to be elementary to middle. And why, you ask? It's because they really back off the support. In elementary school, most students are given a lot of what we call scaffolding, which is a lot of things that are layered on top of each other. It's a lot of first you do this, then you do this, and tomorrow we are going to do this. Right. So that's scaffolding. So it's a lot of steps. 
in middle school, they don't give you that nearly as much. It all goes away. So it really, it's kind of like the rug being ripped out from underneath your feet a little bit when you're going from elementary to middle. So that's why this is a really, really big transition for your kids. So make sure that you've toured the campus or they've toured the campus. Sometimes schools do that the last year of elementary school, but sometimes they don't. So maybe you can go and tour the campus over the summer if you need to. Make sure that you're also getting them their calendar situated, whether it's going to be a Google calendar or some online version of a calendar, or they're going to have a physical planner of some sort. There's also setting up their locker, and then there's also school supplies. Make sure that you get specific lists from the teachers. As many teachers will give you exactly what they want and how they want things organized. And that means that they might give it to you after school starts. I was just going to say, so wait on the school supplies. Exactly. (laughs) Wait. Wait. Going back to the calendar, one thing I just wanted to add to that kind of thought is that in elementary school, assignments are typically due on Friday or the following day. In middle school, that completely shifts. You're not often meeting with every teacher every day. And so having that calendar in place where students write the deadline on the day it is due, not the day that it is assigned, becomes really, really critical to success. And I would argue, and Steph, I think you would agree, whether or not a student has their calendar set up properly and whether or not they write their assignments down on the day that they're due is probably the biggest indicator of whether or not they're going to be successful in middle school. It's so true. It's absolutely true. You want to make sure that their class schedule is correct, that it makes sense, that your child is doing if they are a student with a learning difference or have a medical diagnosis that interferes with their ability to function in the classroom. Ideally, they would have the harder classes at a time of day where they are able to do it. For most students, that's first thing in the morning. If your child has anxiety about switching to a larger school and not knowing anybody or not having enough friends, have them find a spot where they can meet a specific friend for nutrition or break and lunchtime so that there's a plan of who they're going to be with during those free times early on in the school year. And that way they won't feel so alone. Yeah. You want to begin the conversation about how in middle school, Sunday is a school night, and Sunday night is about preparing for the week, dealing with homework, and in elementary school, Sunday is a free night for a lot of students. You need to explain to your child that this changes, and yes, it really sucks. It does for everybody. It really does. But you know, as the parent, you're gearing up for your week on Sunday night. Your child doesn't have that experience in elementary school. It is still a free night for them. It really changes in middle school and they're growing up. Steph, what would you share about the transition from middle school to high school? From middle school to high school, I think there's a lot of similarities that we've already talked about between elementary and middle. There's touring the campus. There's making sure that you've got your calendar situated There's lockers, there's school supplies. They're used to switching classes at this point, so the anxiety may be more of a social anxiety than an academic anxiety. So they've already practiced going through one big transition, so this one goes a little bit smoother usually, unless you have a K-8 school and this is their first transition. And if it is their first big transition, 
then go back and use the things that we were just talking about and really make it a point because they're probably going to have the social anxiety and the academic anxiety in this situation. Steph, that's a really good point that not all students are in a traditional, I mean, here in California, we have K through five, six through eight, and then nine through 12. But like me, for example, I went to K through five, and then I went to a six through 12. So I only had that one big transition, which was academic and social. And then I had the high school to college transition, which we're going to dig into now. So the transition from high school to college is really, really big. The hope in high school is that your students' executive functioning skills are really, really strong. So if you want to know what we're talking about when we're talking about executive functioning, be sure to go back and listen to episode five, which is called Executive Functioning and Why Everyone is Talking About It. And you also want to listen to episode 10 called ADHD and Executive Functioning. You can absolutely listen to that episode even if your child doesn't have ADHD because it's still provide some meaningful nuggets that might have an impact. The hope is that they know how to calendar and they know how to manage their time. It's not just about managing their time once they go to college. It's also about managing their money Yes, when they go to college. So it's a huge life transition. So you want to meet with your college counselor so that they can get their class schedule. My tip for rising freshmen in a four-year or in a two-year university, if you're going to the university level at any capacity, is take easy classes that first semester, no 8 a.m.s, and no Friday classes. Some people choose not to go to the orientation, and I think it's really, really important that you have them go. I couldn't agree more. They are experts in their own school, And so they're going to walk them through the class schedule and all the expectations and kind of how things work. And it's important for them to see the space that they're going to be in. And socially, they'll meet other kids that they're going to be with. So that's a really, I mean, I remember when I went to orientation, it was really helpful because at least there was a face I knew prior to going. I went for orientation. I was staying in the dorms. I was really uncomfortable with them being co-ed. And ultimately, it, that didn't even have an impact. I stayed in a kind of fancier dorm at Berkeley. But the people that I was around, I would call super Berkeley. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> the people that I was meeting were very excited about wearing tie-dyed T-shirts and Birkenstocks. And so not were you. <laughs> very interested in smoking weed during that weekend. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> So I was like, that wasn't me at all. And so ultimately, my own solution to that was joining Greek life, which didn't necessarily mitigate the weed that I was <laughs> surrounded by, but it did. Um, it it didn't put me with the Birkenstock crowd. You know what I'm saying? I got you. <laughs> That's so funny. It really freaked me out. But regardless, it was a super important experience in terms of planning my four years there because it really helps me to understand what the college requirements were versus major requirements, which I had no idea. But it was really important despite like my social fear. It actually helped guide some choices later down the road for me. For sure. This is a great time to talk to your child about planning for study abroad If that's an experience that they want, that needs to be talked about in a part of their four-year plan. 
planning for your classes and to graduate in four years is a huge executive functioning exercise. But plans are flexible. But knowing what you need to accomplish in order to graduate on your timeline is invaluable. This might be a lot for a student who's just going into the dorms, but these are all components that they're going to need to manage and really parents can't manage it for them. Right, Steph? It's totally true. And once they get there, they're on their own. So Mm -hmm. you just are hoping that you've set them up. But Mm -hmm. if you set them up, it's much more likely that they'll be able to succeed. Mm -hmm. So also the living situations, making sure they have all the things they need. I know that Bed Bath & Beyond puts out a list. I was just going to say the Bed Bath & Beyond list. (laughs) All the things that you need, medications, all of that kind of thing. Making sure that they have the things that are comfortable for them. Knowing where the campus doctor's office is, that's important. Knowing what their meal plan is, where they can go, what time meals are served, money and budgeting. Do they need to get a job? Do they have a car? What's the public transportation in the area? Is their calendar up to date? It's the same thing having to do with school. They put out the calendar on when there's days off and when you can drop a class, when you have finals. When your registration date is. And in each individual class, you get a syllabus, which tells you exactly what you need to do. And I was that student who sat down with all my syllabi at the beginning of the semester, put it all in my calendar immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I was too. And now for our biggest advice. Enjoy these last vestiges of summer. (laughs) Enjoy this time with your family. Luxuriate in the freedom and flexibility that summer brings. Have ice cream for dinner. Take your kids to a movie in the middle of the day. Maybe do a double feature. Have family time and maybe sneak in that one last getaway. We want you to enjoy because as we all know, as soon as the school year takes off, It's a runaway train until May or June. So, Smarties, thinking back to a year ago, what have you learned from your learner and from you as a parent about last school year and what you'd like to do differently this school year? Now, remember, we always sit there and say, don't try everything at once. So hopefully you've been able to master one thing and then this year you're going to tackle something else. The other thing that I think you and I both really hope that our Smarties remember is to focus on the little victories along the way. Mm-hmm. I just did a training with my team yesterday where we were talking about our role as ed therapists. We are sometimes very aligned with how the parents are feeling. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a conversation amongst ourselves and we'll say, you know, this student is really at this step, but they got to be at this step. And we talked about how we're at the bottom of the staircase. We're on like the second step and we're looking at that landing and we have like 10 more steps to go. Mm-hmm. So even in our role as educational therapists, we have to focus on those little victories too. And that's just a little reminder from us to you. Yeah. And reminder for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. going back and thinking about, wow, we've come, it's already episode 68, and this was mm-hmm. episode 13 and 14, and mm-hmm. how far we've come. I mean, we recorded this episode before I got married, right? Oh, yeah. If it was released in August, we had recorded it probably in June. Yep. Oh, a lot has happened, stuff. It's a lot different. And as these episodes took shape, they sort of 
became a little bit of a foundation of some of the other stuff that we've been talking about since. Totally. That was what was really fun about listening to this episode again is we know where we've gone since. Yeah. And this episode was totally a precursor to future episodes. Yeah. Putting out the fires for sure. Episode 37. We talk a lot about that. That analogy became the basis of our framework, which is episode 37, which we'll link in the show notes as well. And then we talked about smart goals and we did a whole episode on smart goals, which was episode 38. Mm-hmm. And we highly encourage families to make smart goals at the beginning of the year or, or theme your year with a word or a goal for your family. That's always a really great idea at this time of year. Yeah. And we know that there's a lot of feelings. There's excitement, there's anxiety, there's fear. There's a lot of emotions with going back to school that you guys feel as parents and the children do too, as do the teachers. Oh, yes. As do your ed therapists. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, so just keep that in mind. Everybody's feeling it. It's not just you and it's not just your child. Yeah. So the big takeaways are things that I think that we feel like we're worth mentioning again or things we feel really strongly about since a year ago. That we want to add, right? (laughs) So in the episode, we talked about a lot of things. But one of the things we didn't really talk about too much was how students get summer homework, especially if they're older in an AP class or they have summer reading. Mm -hmm. And I have students on both ends of the spectrum. I have students that put so much time and energy into getting it done Right. At the beginning of the summer, and then they don't remember what it is by the end of the summer. That was me as a student. 100%. And then I have the other ones who I had a client recently who came in who has three books to read in like three weeks Hmm. and had no plan whatsoever and just kept saying, oh, I'll get it done, Mm -hmm. but hadn't really started. Or maybe page 11 of the first book. Right. So I think it's important to bring up that depending on what kind of student your student is, summer work doesn't have to be A++++ work, right? Mm -mm. And Rachel calls it the minimum viable product. Yes. I have a lot of kids who we've been working on summer homework, so we're recording this in the beginning of August. For the past couple of weeks, a lot of students of mine have really dug in. And... For the kids who put too much pressure on themselves for the A++++ work, this is really freeing Mm -hmm. to say, listen, all you have to do is just get it done. It's the minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. Baseline of what you can put out there, right? And then for the kids who maybe are a little too lax, this is an okay time to be focused on, you know, let's just get it done. Yep. And I've actually had to tell parents that because it's interesting to watch parents watch their learners do summer homework Mm -hmm. because we all need a reminder. I literally had a couple parents email me and they're like, you know, I don't know about the quality of the summer work. And I just emailed back. Yeah. It's about getting it done. I wouldn't want to do homework right now. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to be having this conversation with your kid? It's mid July. So, yeah. And I think it's important to note when it's okay to have a minimum product and when it's not. And this is one of those okay times. So I've given students permission in the practice to just get it done. And we've had conversations about when that's okay and when that's not okay. And this is one of the okay times. I almost feel like this whole conversation is 
telling us that we need to do a full episode on minimum viable product. Okay. I think you're right. We'll make that happen, Smarties. I'm going and adding it to our list right now because there's a lot that we could say about this. All right, Steph, you wanted to remind families about homework. Homework, yeah. Homework when you're starting the school year, right? It usually it starts to ramp up, it starts slow, but some kids get slammed day one. And I think it's important to remind your students that homework isn't actually done until it's turned into the teacher. Say it again, Steph. Say it again. Homework isn't actually done until it is turned into the teacher. And a lot of kids think, oh, because how many clients do you have? I have quite a few who do the homework but never turn it in. And the parents are calling. They did the homework and then they get a zero because they didn't turn it in. Well, they didn't really do the homework. I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's something on the paper, but that doesn't mean that the homework is actually done. So I think if we learn to reframe it, that'll change how students are looking at it too. Mm -hmm. This is as simple as at the end of the day when your kid is telling you, I've done the homework, you say, "Uh, you'll be done with the homework when it's in the teacher's hands, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what's the plan to get it in the teacher's hands? Mm -hmm. Does that thing have to go get submitted online? Does it have to be turned in as a piece of paper? Can you email it? And of course, the bane of our existence, what does that particular teacher want? The executive functioning challenge of (laughs) turning in homework should not be ignored. Totally. I want to remind everybody that now is the time to, as Steph wrote in our notes, calendar, calendar, calendar. Front load it, guys. Put Mm -hmm. in that time and effort and energy into making sure your calendar is where it should be at the beginning of the year. Go back and listen to episode two. And if you've been here for a while and if you've been hanging out with us in our Smarties of the Learn Smarter podcast Facebook group, go join that on Facebook. You know that we were having some technical issues getting those earlier episodes to you, but it's back in action, guys. So go back and listen to that episode where we talk about how critical it is to have the calendar in place. And honestly, we want to start that year off on the right foot. And that is a huge component of starting the year off on the right foot. Mm -hmm. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was going to just also add that Rachel and I do it differently. She likes to front load the whole year. I like to front load a semester at a time. Mm -hmm. And some of the kids go, well, I haven't gotten my planner yet because we get it at the first week of school. So you guys didn't see it. Steph (laughs) just rolled her eyes. I totally rolled my eyes. So there's always going to be the but, but, but situations. So if that means that they only want to use that and they're not ready for a digital, then guess what they're doing the first weekend after school starts. Also, let us all remind ourselves that there was more to go on that calendar than just your classes. Totally. So go back and listen to episode two. Steph is writing it right now so we can remember to mention it in the show notes and get that freebie associated with it. We also want to help you all mitigate your anxiety. So we want to point out some of the Things that we said in this episode that would help start the year off feeling emotionally prepared for both parents and students. So, Steph, what are some of the things you want to remind everybody of? wanted to remind everybody that if your child is transitioning to a new school or just a new classroom, see if you can get to know the teacher or meet the teacher beforehand. Go tour the school. Go check out where your locker is. Go see where your classes are going to be if you know the classroom numbers. Things like that just to help get a sense of 
where they're going to go on the first day. What it's going to look like. Yeah. Set up a plan with a a buddy. Where are you going to meet for lunch or snack on the first day? Yeah. If they're not in the same classes. Just so that they know what to expect. And that always mitigates anxiety. Don't forget, Smarties, to scroll back in your podcast app and listen to the third episode of this trilogy. So remember, when we initially aired these episodes, it was two episodes. We've combined it into one delicious episode for you this week. But go listen to that third episode. It's episode 15. We talk all about how there are usually too many supplies purchased in an effort to organize your learner. Yeah, we're trying to save you money. We're trying to save you money, guys. We're trying to save you money and time and frustration. (laughs) So go back and listen to that episode. There's a freebie associated with it that has what we recommend for school supplies for your learner. And we're here. We're with you. Hang out with us in our Facebook group. Yes. Come hang out and we'll have office hours. The first Thursday of the month. Yeah. At 11 a.m. Yeah. We have and to let's see all there. take a collective deep breath. <gasps> we can do this, Smarties. We've got this. <laughs> have a great week. And have a great year. Oh, yeah. Definitely have a great year. Let's all have a great year, shall we? Should we do another collective breath? Yeah. Yeah. Let's okay, do it. Ready? <laughs> ready? <sighs> I just have this vision of Pierce, our editor, like laughing at us right now. All right, Smarties. <laughs> it's been real. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>